name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Today's Gospel, which is a, a short one, lets us get a little bit of a glimpse into how our Lord interacts with us versus how we sometimes have an expectation for. And I particularly care about the verse where it says that the Lord saw her, when the Lord saw her, He had compassion on her. And a person will typically wonder, well, didn't the Lord know she had lost her son? <laughs> right? Like, he, he already knew. It says, when the Lord saw her, He had compassion. And many of us get upset with God and say that God should have done this, that, or the other thing. And we want a God who is above all moving chess pieces instead of a God who, as St. Discourse said, is with us, like us, and, and for us. Because the real issue that's going on here is free will. But what we were wishing is that, no, God should have prevented this person from dying. God should have not allowed this to even have happened. God should not have allowed so-and-so to get sick. God should not have allowed for whatever tragedy to happen. But in saying this, whether we like it or not, what we're actually saying is, I want to be a chess piece. And at the same time, we get very angry at that concept, right? We want to have our, our, our pie and eat it too, or however the expression goes. Whereas the, the reality is that God gave us free will. And God's will for everyone and everything is salvation, right? This is what He wanted. When God created the earth and He created man, He wanted for man to be in His image and likeness. He wanted for man and him to be in a relationship with one another, right? He didn't say, I'm creating this world and I needed to make people so that, could, that they could run it, right? He didn't, that wasn't His desire. He made the, the world as a gift for humanity, not the opposite. So if God's will is salvation, His design was also for perfection. God didn't will disease, right? God didn't will death, right? The issue is that because we're not God, we die. Because we're not God, right, we are limited. And consequently, we only receive the gifts of God by our unity with Him, right? By our, our, our participation in Him. Right? This, is, this is the only way that we are able to partake of His own gifts. He took what is ours and gave us what is His. So any kind of unhappiness or unrest is a result of things not going how they are designed. It's very, very simple. It's not actually that complex. If I use something a way that it wasn't designed to be used, I'm not going to get the proper result of that thing. Right? It's so very, very, very simple. And so disease is a function of us not using the body as it was meant to be used. It's a result of not using the world the way it was meant to be used. Right? When we pollute, we're going to have more radiation. If we have more radiation, we're going to have more cancer. If we have more um, radiation, we're going to have global warming. If we have global warming, we're going to have more floods. If we have more floods, more people are going to die in tragedy. Right? But we tend to look at every single thing that's happening as though the big guy in the sky is moving everyone and everything. And so we come to conflict, and once we're in the middle of conflict, we get very upset and say, woe is me, why is this happening to me? How horrible is the God? How horrible is the world? How horrible are my parents? How horrible are my children? How horrible is my boss? Right? Insert how horrible somebody is, right? For why I'm in the state that I'm in. When really, the real cause of everything is free will, right? Free will is a double-edged sword. It brings joy when it's used right, 
and it brings disease and death when it's used wrongly. So here we see that somebody had died, right? And so our upsetness is usually, oh, God should have done this or that. And instead, God's not even standing there saying, well, you know it's your fault, right? You know that sin entered in the world through you people. I didn't, I didn't create you and tell you to sin. You chose to sin, right? Instead, it says that our Lord observes, sees this woman who's in this state, and when he sees her, he has compassion on her. He doesn't come to her with judgment. The incarnation is where our Lord took us on completely. And I mean, took in on us as who we are completely, right? And we have a very comforting verse in Hebrews where it says, where we don't have a high priest, right, who doesn't understand us in modern English. We don't have a high priest who is alien to us, who doesn't know what it's like to be weak or to have hardship. Because in all things he took to himself our humanity and became completely like us. And in all ways, St. Paul says in Hebrews, was tempted like us. In all ways. Right? He knows what it's like to have grief and sorrow. He knows what it's like to have suffer the loss of, of a friend or a family member. He knows what it's like to be tempted in everything that you can imagine. We don't talk about Christ often in this way. But the reality is that he did go through everything. Right? Without exception, he was tempted. The difference is he didn't fall. But he was tempted in all ways like we were tempted. And because of this, this is why God is able to have compassion. Right? This is why he's able to say, I understand what it is that you're going through. I still know what's right and wrong, right? But that I am still able to understand. So the Lord showed compassion because he was man. Right? God cries when Lazarus died. And he knew he was going to raise Lazarus. Right? Like, it's not like he didn't know that four days later he was going to raise him from the dead. And yet, it says that he stood, he saw his sisters crying, right? He saw the state of all of it. And we know from the Gospels that Lazarus was a close friend of his, right? He could have been like, oh, like, hold on, why are you all crying? Just wait, check out what I'm going to do right now, right? But instead, right, he felt the pain and the sorrow of everybody that was around him and his own pain and sorrow of the love that he had for this person. The sting of death, the sting of pain was not foreign to him. And so he wept, right? The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. So he has a full understanding of our, of our misery and of what the pains of loss are. And this miracle shows why the sadness has a companion, right? Sadness also has a solution. And the solution is resurrection. It's easy for God to fix problems when we submit, but the healing comes in Christ. The healing of their sorrow didn't come from crying at home, right? The healing of their sorrow didn't come from the kind words of people around them, right? I'm sure lots of people were saying, the rest is in your life, and whatever expressions we use to comfort people, of, I'm sorry for your loss. It's nice. We, we ought to, to say these things. It's not wrong. But it didn't fix anything. Right? It didn't fix anybody to hear a kind word. It just gave them comfort in their sorrow. The fixing only comes in Christ. Right? The fixing only comes in the touching of Christ, of that person. The only one who can fix and heal and resurrect is God. Um, this is why the solution to our sorrows isn't going to come from the earth. Because often when we have our problems, what do we do is we try and fix it in a secular way. 
right? Oh, all I need to do is just do this, right? And everything's going to be better. I'll apply for this. I'll call so-and-so. But these secular remedies don't work. If I try and my and remedy myself secularly, it will be limited because secular world is limited, right? So it'll be limited by whatever um, the limitations are of that particular thing. If I want a real healing, it will only come from Christ. We are more than meat and flesh. We are more than money, right? We are more than these, these small things. So the works of God showed them the presence of Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us, right? Their response was, God has visited His people this day. That's what it was the response of the people when they saw this miracle. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. So their response was to name God, right? Their response was to say, Aha, God is truly with us. Today God has visited us and visited His people. They saw God's work among them. Sometimes we think that God is far from us, but He is not. He is right there. Right? God is with him the whole time. They identified his presence when they saw his work, but he was with them the whole time. Right? Their declaration of God with us is not what suddenly made him with them. He was already there. Right? But it was in this moment that they identified, that they recognized that God was with them, that he is there. They had given up, actually. They had given up on the promise that the Messiah was going to come on some level. On paper, they believed, right? On paper, the Messiah is coming someday. Someone's going to be his mom, and they were all excited about this. But in reality, 400 years with no word from God of any kind, no, they had given up on a practical level, right? They figured that we're not going to see him. Um, and so they were shocked that the prophecy had come true. So this is what we often feel like in the midst of tribulation, that the Messiah is not coming, right? Whereas he is there, and he is there compassionately. This is why in tribulation we sometimes feel like God is gone, right? The reason why the people didn't feel God, the reason why God hadn't spoken to his people in 400 years, is because they had gone astray. It wasn't because God didn't exist. God said, well, I live in a relationship. Okay, so if you want to deal with me, I'll deal with you. If you don't want to deal with me, I won't deal with you. I'll try to, but I'm not going to force you because of this whole free will business, right? This is why in all the prophecies saying, return to me and I'll return to you, right? He's saying, please come back. The covenant is about, do I want to be in a relationship with God or not? And God is not going to force me to be in a relationship. The problem is that most of us want God outside of relationship. We want the benefits of God. That's what the Old Testament Jews wanted. Right? We want God when things go bad. Right? And then we're like, well, how come he raised her son and he didn't raise mine? Right? Because are we in relationship with him or not? Are we living in any way, shape, or form the covenant? Or are we coming to him in the moment when I have needs, I have wants, I have a problem? And now God is the God of Lazarus. Right? Because if this is the relationship or lack of relationship that I'm living, then no, God is not with you. He is like factually, but not in a, in, a, in a practical, realistic way. You aren't living Emmanuel, right? You are not living that God is with you. You are living divorced from Him, um, and you want Him to give you your allowance when things get low, when the funds get low, 
right? You want him to hug you when you've gone off and done something really horrible and you feel badly about it. The nice thing is that he often still does it, right? But it shouldn't be our expectation of him that he does that because it's not what he designed, it's not what he wanted, and it's not love to have that expectation. It's completely selfish, right? We're living as, as little kids with him. The Israelites had strayed one million percent from the plan, so they didn't feel God's presence, and they felt like they were abandoned. The reality, as I said, is that the off, often our choices are taking us away from God, or the choices of others have also affected me. And so God is not present because we are living the opposite of Him. God is by nature love and light. When we choose to be in darkness, we are far from Him. You can't be in darkness and light at the same time. It is physically impossible. Right? If I want to be in the presence of God, I have to walk in light. That's why one of the verses says, if we are walking in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another because we are walking in the same way as Christ. Whereas God restored this man, this dead man, right, this dead child, to his original nature. He fixed him. Right? He took him to, to make him look like he ought to look. Fixing death was the problem to the grief. Right? The solution isn't what people thought. The solution wasn't going to be a kind word. The solution was to fix death. He's showing that our problem is death. Right? This is what God was showing in His resurrection. He's saying, no, here's the issue. Why are you sad? Because somebody died. Why did people die? Because of sin. Right? So He's linking death and sin together and reinforcing to us that sin is the reason for all of your misery. Think of any problem that you have. It's because you or someone else has done something wrong. Every single problem is going to be because of that. And it's not wrong in the sense of, oh, you're all horrible people, you do wrong things. That's not my message to tell you how bad you are. We all, we're all, we all suck, okay? As, as people, we do. But if we understand that my problems come from doing the wrong thing, then I should struggle to do the right thing. It's that simple, right? Whereas we excuse ourselves for why we should do the wrong, and then we get upset when the wrong causes us grief. So the solution is simple. Don't sin, <laughs> right? And this is why Christ says, be perfect, even as your Father in Heaven is perfect. Is it a struggle to not sin? Of course it is, because we have come to love sin, right? The, the war in our members is real, right? The, the lower will is still seeking sin. But I still have to strive for what is right. I can say, I don't care. I know the good and I don't care. You can, you're entitled to. Yeah, you have a free will. That's absolutely your choice. But there will be consequences, which is fine, you can accept those. But be aware when you're in misery and when you're not happy and when you don't have the thing that you want and when you feel unfulfilled, that it is not God who is not present with you. It is you who has chosen to walk amiss, who has chosen to walk contrary to how you're designed to be, which he respects. Right? He says, your will is your will and I will allow it. This mother, however is like the church, right? This mother who is weeping is like the church. The church is a crying mother and she intercedes for the misery of her people, right? The church is crying out for those who have died. She's crying out for those who are in grief. She's crying out for those who have gone astray. So do we cry like the widow of nine? Do we cry for the loss of others? You're right, we don't, right? Do we bring people to Christ for healing? We haven't been. 
these are the things that we're called to do. Because look at what the intercession of the church did. It brought Christ to them to have mercy on this person. So find the Lord in tribulation because He is compassionate. If you have gone astray, come back to Him and you will find His consolation. What healed this person? The body of Christ. Right? It was Christ Himself. It was by interacting with the Lord God incarnate, the Lord God who is at the altar. We believe in the true body and true blood of Jesus Christ, not in symbols. We believe that just like He said, my flesh is flesh indeed, and my blood is blood indeed. And this is where we derive our healing and our strength. Do you partake of Eucharist, or do you regularly not? Because we need it. This is what is life-giving. May our Lord Jesus Christ also touch our buyers, our coffins, the coffins of our bodies with His life-giving touch. May you approach Him, our coffins of death and sin, to be resurrected by Him, that we may find joy in life, and that we, like those who saw this miracle, may say, indeed, God has visited His people. And glory be to our God forever and ever. Amen.